Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka. Tracy Bumgard and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Burundi's Cabinet Council has adopted a decree granting amnesty to owners of illegal arms, and South Africa pushes for more changes at the UN Security Council. In economics news, Australia's competition regulator says it is looking into whether VW misled consumers over its emissions claims. And in sports news, South Africa's under-20 football women's team in Zambia ahead of the World Cup qualifier against the hosts. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. Zimbabwe Vice President Emerson Nangakwa has cemented his status as heir apparent to 91-year-old President Robert Mugabe after getting close allies appointed to imported cabinet posts and securing the task of reforming the economy and legal system. Nangakwa was appointed Mugabe's official deputy in December last year after the sacking of Joyce Mujuru, who had held the position for 10 years. Mugabe has reshuffled his cabinet three times in the last nine months to purge Mujuru supporters and and factional fights over an eventual successor. Each time, Nangagwa allies have secured cabinet posts. With his right-hand man, July Moyo, leading operations at Zanupiaf party headquarters and with what is believed to be the backing of the military top brass, Nangagwa is the closest to power. Former Lesotho Prime Minister Tom Tabane's son Butlako has described Army Commander Tladi Kamodi as a man who was on a dubious mission on the morning of August 30, 2014. Tabane's son testified at the Sada Commission of Inquiry investigating the death of former Commander Maparangwe Mahao. Takwana Ngadani reports. The commission is slowly piecing together the events around the removal of Kamudi and appointment of Mahao by Tabani and their legality. Kamudi maintains Tabani never told him he was fired and he was told by people who saw the announcement in the media. But Tabani's allies say not only did he know, but his actions and that of the army on the morning of August 30th show he was planning to stop the removal, topple Tabani or even kill him. Saudi Arabia's Health Minister Khalid Al-Fali has blamed yesterday's harsh pilgrimage tragedy on worshippers failing to obey instructions. He says the accident was a stampede caused by overcrowding and also caused by some of the pilgrims not following the instructions of the security and the Hajj ministry. More than 700 pilgrims died and close to 900 injured after the stampede, which occurred when pilgrims were performing a ritual near Mina in the Mecca area. Pope Francis has meanwhile expressed solidarity with Muslims following the tragedy in Saudi Arabia. Speaking during a prayer service in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, he expressed his closeness to those who had suffered in Mecca. 
The International Organization for Migration, IOM, has welcomed the move by European Union leaders announced yesterday to pledge another 1 billion euros to help UN agencies supporting the Syrian refugees in the Middle East. This comes as the EU renews efforts to try to tackle the migrant crisis across Europe. IOM spokesperson Itai Viriri. We welcome the announcement in terms of significantly increasing the resources. The main challenge that the European Union is facing is that there's a disparity, I think, in terms of what countries see as their capacity to be able to deal with numbers coming through. Quotas will probably have to be on a capita basis where countries capacity to deal with the numbers is taken into consideration. And so far, I think that's what the European Union has tried to do. Hungary has its concerns, I think, not just about the numbers, but also the profile of people coming in. They don't want people from that particular part of the world, referring to the Middle East, coming to their countries. Unfortunately, you know, people who need support should be getting that support, regardless of where they're coming from. And finally, the South African National Defense Force says 50 South African peacekeepers serving in the United Nations mission in the DRC are being recalled. SANDF spokesperson Kolani Mapanga says the soldiers are being withdrawn from the mission to face disciplinary steps back home for breaches of regulations. He says there have been over 13 incidents, including curfew violations. Mapanga refused to give further details because investigations are still ongoing. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. It is 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our top story, Burundi's Cabinet Council has adopted a decree granting amnesty to owners of illegal arms willing to hand them back voluntarily. Cabinet Secretary Felipe Nzoboranire Riba says this initiative is aimed at encouraging whoever wants to hand their weapon back to do so without fear of being arrested. Bernard Bankukira reports from Pujumbura. In a statement issued following a cabinet meeting this Wednesday, Philip Nzovnariba, the Burundi cabinet secretary, expressed the concerns of Burundi government over criminal acts reported across the country despite successful story exercise that saw more than 100,000 weapons retrieved from the wrong hands. According to the government, criminal acts reported here and there in the country portray that illegal weapons are still in the wrong hands. The Act 01-14 of August 29, 2009, about small and light weapons reviewed in 2013, has enabled the launch of disarmament campaigns which led to a withdrawal of many weapons and ammunition which were disseminated within the population. More than 100,000 weapons have been retrieved during the first phase of disarmament process. In spite of that successful result, illegal weapons are still spread across the Burundian territory in view of several assassination cases as well as armed attacks in some provinces like Chibitoke and Kayanza. Philip Nzobanariba says that Burundian population has shown a clear will of handing back all illegal arms voluntarily. He says the government has decided to grant amnesty to whoever will be willing to give the weapon back without any further prosecution. Considering weapons are thrown away or found abandoned in the bush, it's obvious that the population is willing to hand them back. However, 
they fear sanctions in case one is apprehended in the process of handing the weapon back. So there is a need of a certain guarantee. So this act comes to grant amnesty to any owner of illegal weapon and any other related tool who will be willing to hand it back to do it freely without fear of criminal prosecution in the deadlines defined by the act. Also, the initiative determines a political will of the government to completely withdraw all illegal arms in the hands of the population. Since a couple of days ago, security forces in Bujumbura have conducted massive search operations in several areas of the capital Bujumbura, despite announcing to have seized different types of weapons and military and police tools. It is scarce to spend a night without a person killed with a gun across the country. During his inauguration on August 20th, Pian Kulonziza, the President of the Republic, gave a two-month period to the security forces to restore stability across the country, starting from the anti-third-term neighborhoods in the capital Bujumbura. Nevertheless, gunshots and grenade explosions, along with the targeted killings, continue to be reported in several areas of the country. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira reporting from Bujumbura. South Africa's governing African National Congress in Parliament says it will consult opposition parties to counter and rescind an earlier economic freedom fighter's motion on platinum miner Lonmin. This comes after the National Assembly recently passed the EFF's motion without notice that says Lonmin is corrupt to the core. The motion was passed at a time when government was busy engaging the mining sector not to shed jobs. Mercedes Percent reports. After a motion without notice has been read by an MP in the National Assembly, it only requires one political party to object to the motion for it to fall away. But if there are no objections, it means the motion is accepted and then passed by the National Assembly. Such a motion is then communicated to the person or an institution who is the subject of discussion in the motion. In this case, the EFF's motion should be communicated to Lonman to inform it that the National Assembly says it is corrupt to the core. Earlier, the DA described it as a silly motion while the ANC says it's nonsensical. They both wanted it to be rescinded. ANC caucus spokesperson Moloto Motapo says the party will counter the motion with the cooperation of other opposition parties. Parliament cannot be abused by such kind of myopic and uh, mischievous motions. That's the reason why there is a provision in the rules that uh, as and when such kind of uh, nonsensical motions uh, slips through the cracks, uh, there is always a corrective measure that has to be applied. And in this case, we will have a discussion with uh, various political parties and uh, will ensure that uh, when Parliament uh, comes back and uh, begins its uh, business, we will ensure that uh, a motion is ready for that previous motion to be rescinded. It's just a matter of ensuring that uh, we are together as Parliament in uh, rescinding this motion and ensuring that we protect the integrity of the institution. But according to EFF spokesperson Mbuise Nintlozi, they stand by their motion on lawnmen, saying they will also object to the ANC's counter motion. It makes sense that uh, a cowardice party like the ANC, you know, would be picking up its pants, you know, and trying to, to correct that because they are cowards and they are friends of white monopoly corrupt capital. We will oppose, uh, you know, the motion before it is 
uh, withdrawn through a simple majority uh, as it were. So we're going to fight it, but uh, we don't have to uh, for now because that's the decision of parliament. So what needs to be invested in is for parliament to communicate to Lonmin that it's a corrupt company to the core. Countering the EFF's motion is one move, but the question remains why the motion was not objected to on the day it was presented in the chamber. The ANC and the DAF more MPs in the National Assembly than any other political party. The ANC has more than 200 MPs, while the DA has close to 90, and the Lonman motion still managed to slip through. Former veteran ANC MP Ben Turok says it is deplorable that a motion can slip through and be passed in the presence of parties who are the most MPs in the House. Because they're so worried about the disruption and so preoccupied with the disruption that they're not actually concentrating enough on the real issues. It's very dangerous. But you know what I want to say is this that the situation is even more difficult because the quorum question is now the critical question for Parliament because the ANC does not have enough members who can attend on a regular basis because the ministers don't attend on a regular basis. The ANC is going to have great difficulties in committee and in plenary to win all the votes and issues that they want. And in the light of some of the current rules being reviewed to restore order in the chamber, Turok also says there's no institutional mechanism that can resolve the current situation in the National Assembly. He is calling on President Jacob Zuma and his deputy Cyril Ramaphosa to enter the discussion to restore order in Parliament. And I myself think that the President and the Deputy President should make overtures to all parties, including EFF, and say, let's sort this out. You know, in a country like Greece, where there are very serious issues, they now have to sit down. They have to sit down and negotiate and discuss the way forward. And I think the only thing in South Africa is discussion, 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 negotiating, trying to meet each other. There's no other way. An other way is very dangerous. And so I believe that the president meets with Malema and everybody else and talks these things through. That report by Mercedes Percent. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, 
This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel African in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Head of the United Nations Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Martin Kobler, has completed his two-year mandate in that country. Kobler says he will leave the DRC next month with mixed feelings. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. What he said on Wednesday as he attended a more newsco press conference for his last time here in Kinshasa, Martin Kobler regretted that he has now to leave a country he has fallen in love with for the two last years. And indeed, while heading the United Nations mission here in the Democratic Republic of Congo as a special representative of the UN Secretary General in this country, Martin Kobler has been seen in several areas of the different provinces of the DRC especially in the eastern provinces to support victims of human rights abuse and try to find out solutions alongside with Congolese authorities. Martin Kobler has then completed his two-year mandate and has to leave the Democratic Republic of Congo at the end of October. The former representative of Ban Ki-moon here believes he has achieved a lot although there is still a lot he didn't achieve and that's why he told the Channel Africa He's leaving the DRC with feelings of both satisfaction and frustration. I leave with a big sentiment, a feeling of satisfaction because we achieved a lot in the two years. But I also leave with a certain sense of frustration uh, because not everything is achieved. But this, I think, is normal in such a situation. In particular, it was not possible to re-establish the relation to the government um, uh, with, uh, in, with relation to the FDLR. You know, there are South African troops there are still deployed to fight the FDLR. But the government did not give a go-ahead to fight the FDLR together with us. We have all our added value. The um, FARDC, the Congolese army, they have the knowledge of the terrain, they have the language, they know the language, and they have the better intelligence. We on the other side, we have technical means, we have drones, we have attack helicopters, means of transport, be it helicopters or, or trucks, to transport the FRDC. We can support them logistically. Now, unity, 
is, is required and only together we are strong. That's why I really encourage the government to give the go-ahead for joint operations. The United Nations mission here in the Democratic Republic of Congo has really achieved a lot during Martenko Blaise's mandate aiming this country's stabilization and peace consolidation. But what has made him more proud is the fall of the March 23rd rebel movement that was destabilizing the eastern DRC, especially the North Kivu province. Once more, Martin Kobler explains. We achieved a lot in the east of the country. The fall of the M23 in 2013, this developed a really great dynamic. If you look at Goma today and August 2013, it's a difference like day and night. Today we have even commercial flights. The airport was extended, the runway is now 2,600 meters with the help of the German government and the World Bank. Um, now Ethiopian Airlines uh, are going into Goma with commercial flights. I myself took this flight. If you see the economic situation in Goma, where the, the roads leading to Goma, they are free of armed groups. There is still banditry around, but this is more criminality. And the women can bring their agricultural products to the market of Goma. This is a big achievement, that people can move. That, that's what they want. They want to have peace and security. The rest, they say, we can do ourselves. Martin Kobler has been keeping this position for the last two years indeed. The UN Secretary General appointed him in June 2013, and he came here in the DRC the same year in August while coming from both Iraq and Afghanistan. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. South African consumers are not out of the woods yet following the announcement by the Reserve Bank to leave the repo rate unchanged at 6% earlier this week. The recent performance of a country's economy has deteriorated further. South Africa's short-term growth outlook is also not looking up as domestic demand is likely to face strong headwinds. To talk to us more on this issue, we are now joined on the line by economist at economist.co.za, Mike Schussler. Mike, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Mike, we've had this discussion before. How is the short-term growth outlook measured for the country to be in a positive state? Well, look, I think at the moment we've probably uh, had a bit of a recession, I would guess. Um, We've had one quarter of negative growth and I think the second quarter could also be negative. Um, Having said that, I expect a bit of a jump back at some stage, probably in the fourth quarter, maybe even a little bit now. Um, But nonetheless, the growth outlook is not very positive. Um, We are growing at less than uh, the population growth rate. So the average person out there in South Africa is actually getting poorer. And that is the, 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 the crux of the matter. And I think the Reserve Bank, when they look at interest rates, 
have to take growth into account. They don't only take, they, their main thing is obviously inflation, but they are taking growth into account, and I think that's become very evident in the last few decisions that they've made. Mike, what exactly should happen in order um, for the economy to be in a healthy state uh, with all the current factors considered? Oh, um, all right. That's a long list, I guess. But the first thing is, you know, we need commodity prices, um, which we don't have control over, to stabilize. That is for us and the rest of Africa, um, just so that we can get on an even keel. At the moment, uh, commodity prices in the main are still falling, and sometimes for reasons that we don't think of every day. For example, Volkswagen uh, cheating on their diesel, mo- uh, diesel engines and the software of that in the test. Uh, could lead to less diesel car sales, which will lead to less platinum being used, which will which brought down the price of platinum. Um, oil, you know, is also and iron ore is in the gro- in the hands of the Chinese growth, and that slowed down tremendously. And oil for South Africa is a positive if it goes down, so that is certainly helping us still. But I think overall we're in uh, the doldrums. Uh, the growth overall, I think, uh, because we don't have the commodity export prices and so on. That is the external factors. Internal, we can mention a few. Um, for example, we've lost uh, nearly 400,000 tourists uh, over the last 12 months uh, due to visa uh, restrictions. And I would say you could argue that it was probably even more because we should have seen growth in tourism with a weak rand. Um, that's an internal reason. So, and obviously, ESCOM power supply, all those sort of things need to be looked at. And we need to make rules and regulations easier for people uh, to do business with in South Africa. It's not that difficult, but we need to look overall at the picture that we're competing with other countries. And when other countries say, right, we don't have to have a, a black economic empowerment and you don't have to have this and so on. I think we've got to realize that when a foreign firm comes to South Africa, um, they were not participants in uh, any regime beforehand. And if they come in and they want to do business, then they should be exempt, for example, from BEE uh, regulations, which makes their life easier and which makes them more likely to invest here, which means we're more likely to see job growth in uh, that sort of sphere, and I think that's very, very important uh, that we look at all those sort of regulations that have a, a role to play. And then on the longer run, I think we've got to do something to improve our education. I think interest rates play a small role in the bigger picture. Um, I think in the longer term, education probably plays a major role, but in the short term, Uh, and medium term, we've got to look at uh, what rules and regulations make sense to us as a country and which don't. Now, Mike, just uh, speaking to the issue of uh, uh, investors coming into the country, um, is it not part of a company or foreign company's um, uh, duty to understand how uh, a country is run or governed before investing in that country. Because speaking of the issue of BE and how things are done in South Africa and maybe different countries are doing things differently, are they not, is it not part of their duty to ensure that the markets that they go into, they understand them and where they come from so that when they do invest, um, it makes things a lot easier for both parties? Well, look, it is, a, it is so that they have to understand the country that they invest in. But remember, when they're doing their homework, they can invest anywhere. 
in many cases. And, I mean, we're even finding that um, our mining companies are uh, interested in investing in other places. And uh, part of the reason that we've got to look at is uh, BEE adds a cost. With other words, we're saying to people, come to South Africa, but you've got to give part of your company up. And giving up part of your company, uh, and you've got to help find that finance for that person or persons, uh, makes it much more difficult for that company to operate here. And at the end of the day, business follows the path of least resistance. Uh, we don't have the growth rate. Um, so people are not interested uh, that far in uh, coming here anyway. Now we have to work harder. So is it not our responsibility to say to people what we need is jobs first? Because BEE, as many people will tell you, has only benefited a very few people, not that many. And although beneficiaries are measured in the millions, I think the real people that have been benefiting from BEE are very much already the elite in South Africa. So we have to be very, very careful as to how we approach things when we talk about people coming from other countries uh, and investing here. It's our responsibility to make sure that we make it easy for other people to invest in South Africa so that they can go ahead and create the jobs that we so desperately need. And I think that's the responsibility that we have as a country uh, rather than the foreign investors. The foreign investor has a responsibility towards his firm and seeing that he can put it together or she can put it together, whoever, uh, in such a way that the growth is quickest uh, and the profits are the highest for them. Now, Mike, let's speak to the issue of uh, the weaker rand, um, weaker exchange rate, for instance. Is this not good for South African companies who are dealing with a lot of exports? Yes, it's very good for some companies. There's no doubt that after more than three years of decline, the rand is starting to have slowly effect, as the, Secha, uh, 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 the governor of the Reserve Bank has pointed out, that the, the, the growth is starting to happen in some um, of our um, uh, export markets, for example, wine, certainly in cars, with a lot of subsidies nonetheless, but we are seeing that happen, and that's good news for them. But remember, me and you, um, we put in petrol every day, and every day that petrol price or diesel price is a lot higher than it would have been if the rand was stable. The next month we're going to get a very small increase or decrease in the price of petrol, for example. But if the rand hadn't weakened, uh, we would have had roughly a 35, 40 cents decrease. Um, that's just putting a practical value to it. We've also got to understand that a weaker rand uh, also plays havoc with, for example, maize prices. Maize prices have a big influence on chicken prices. So we have to understand in the modern world, goods are bought and sold all around the world and they tend to follow international trends, maybe not exactly the same price, but, for example, the maize price minus transport costs and uh, port costs and so on uh, end up being very close to the international uh, maize price in U.S. dollars. So that is an input, again, for chicken farmers, for example, and we have to be very, very careful how far and how fast the rand falls. But having said that, the rand's fall is not our fault 100%. It is only partly our fault, if you wish, but it is not our fault in the sense that this is a very big change in um, the world at the moment where Chinese growth has slowed down. That 
slowdown in Chinese growth means that people are, at this moment in time, looking at currencies again. And when they look at these currencies, they see, okay, South Africa and Brazil and whoever else have big current accounts. They're living beyond their means. That part is our fault, living beyond our means. Uh, so we, we're going to bet that this currency goes down, and we're going to take our money out of that currency. And that's what's happening on the one side. On the other side, people are saying, well, let's look where the growth is and where stability and that type of stuff is. And they see South African risk increasing along with other emerging markets, and that's where it's not our fault, uh, because the commodity price slowed down, because of all these things. So while we've got to look at putting our money into places with less risk, and that may then be America, Europe, and the like. And those parts for us at this moment in time are the ones that we cannot do much about. So we can We've got to learn how to make use of the week around, and that's, for example, where the tourist visa um, story can really play a positive role if we use it properly and we can get rid of the visums as soon as possible, make it easy for people to come here. The average African country, the latest figures I saw for, I think, up to June or it was May, had an 8% increase in tourism in the last year. We've had about a 6 to 7% decrease in tourism, um, that is, uh, you know, something that we should be addressing because we should be a good destination. We have all the infrastructure. We have everything, beauty. Uh, we have the people. We have the friendliness. Everything for tourists right now, we should be working very hard on attracting tourists. Mike, unfortunately, we have run out of time. We have to leave it there for now, but I'm sure we will be chatting to you more as, as time continues. Thank you Thank so much you. for joining us. Bye. That was Mike Schussler, economist at economist.co.za, joining us on the line. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Former Lesotho Prime Minister Tom Tabane's son, Putlauko, has described Army Commander Tladi Kamodi as a man who was on a dubious mission on the morning of August 30, 2014. He was testifying at the SADC Commission of Inquiry investigating the death of former Commander Maparangwe Mahau. Saudi Arabia's Health Minister Khalid Al-Fali has blamed yesterday's harsh pilgrimage tragedy on worshippers failing to obey instructions. And the International Organization for Migration has welcomed the move by European Union leaders to pledge another 1 billion euros to help UN agencies supporting the Syrian refugees in the Middle East. Those are news headlines. Thank you, Amanda. The South African Department of Trade and Industries Copyright Amendment Bill of 2015, which closed for comment last week, is being called unconstitutional and downright absurd. The new legislation that is currently being processed will, in fact, transfer the copyright of an artist to the state on his death 
on his or her death. But under the current legislation of the Copyright Act of 1978, the copyright of an author of literary, artistic and musical works enjoys protection for 50 years after his or her death. This copyright can also be transferred as an asset to the author's heirs for up to 50 years, a period in which they can still receive money earned from royalties. Jacques Dienkamp compiled this report. Some years ago, I brought this case involving the song The Lion Sleeps Tonight, which was derived from a song called Mbubi, written by somebody called Solomon Linda. And 25 years after his death, his heirs were able to claim royalties for the use of the song The Lion Sleeps Tonight. So, I mean, that sort of opportunity will go by the board as far as descendants are concerned. And the state would be in a position to claim those royalties. Owen Dean, a professor of intellectual property law at Stellenbosch University, says he is against the Copyright Amendment Bill of 2015 in its current form. I'm for some of the proposed changes. I think they're long overdue. But the way in which the bill has been drafted is abominable and it's of very poor quality and it's got some crazy content to it. And so I'm very much against the bill in its present form. The new bill provides that ownership of any copyright whose owner is deceased shall vest in the state, but this will take away much-needed income from the heirs. Well, that's what the bill says. Whether that's what it intends is perhaps another matter, but something like that, as far as I'm concerned, would be blatantly unconstitutional, so it's very unlikely that it would go through. But if one takes the bill at face value, that's indeed what will happen. It will say that once an author dies, his works will become so-called orphan works and owned by the state, and the copyright will be perpetual, which will give the state a perpetual right to charge royalties for the use of works of dead authors, which is absurd. According to Dean, the current bill belongs in the trash can. It's absolutely an anathema and uh, it should be scrapped. I can't begin to imagine the damage that's going to be caused to our law of copyright if it goes ahead in its present form and hopefully wiser councils will prevail because it really is rubbish. I have no doubt at all that if the bill does go forward in its present form or anything like its present form, there will be constitutional challenges to it. The people are not going to take these absurd provisions lying down. But copyright lawyer Graham Gilfillan is of a different opinion. It addresses issues which uh, bring the Act into the 21st century properly, the first proper addressing of digital issues. Our Act hasn't been updated in a long time properly, and we are overdue for an update. I think it's since 1996 we had an update with the Berne Convention, and some 43 countries had joined that convention. So copyright has been in the backwaters for some time. So we are way overdue. He believes the current Copyright Act of 1978 doesn't offer any protection to previously disadvantaged people. Gilfillan says the new bill provides that copyright ownership will only be vested in the state if the heirs of a deceased author cannot be located. What the amendment bill has put forward is far better than what is existing at the moment. It's part of a public document which has been put forward for submission of comment. And I have no doubt that the legal mind, those who choose to, can improve the issue. But the principle won't change. So in other words, the language may be able to be improved, and I've no doubt that it can be. But the principle of the issue, that when people decease, we have large numbers of people in this country that create that die without a will. I mean, to the own deans of the world, a will is normal.
But let's go to the vast millions of people in this country who don't have English as a first language, where wills are not something that are normal. You know, let's be realistic about who we are in this country. What we are is a number of people who are creatively thrown around by private organizations who have privatized the information and actually it's far better to deal with it at the state level. According to Gil Fillon, South Africa needs these new amendments to ensure that our works are properly protected before being exported to the world. If we want a strong industry, we need to learn from the U.S. Pay homage to your culture and you'll have a strong industry. Gorge on foreign culture and you have no industry. That report by Jacques Steenkamp. South Africa is pushing a more inclusive United Nations Security Council. This agenda was raised by President Jacob Zuma in a briefing with the media and foreign ambassadors resident in South Africa. Zuma underlined the need for the organization to consider how it can transform and evolve to improve its capacity to respond to modern-day challenges, especially considering Africa's needs. Developing nations have called for reform of the UN Security Council, which has since World War II accorded veto rights on substantive resolutions to five permanent members, the United States, Britain, France, Russia and China. Jack Silliers is the Executive Director of the Institute for Security Studies in South Africa and starts by telling us how it happened that veto rights were accorded only to the United States, Britain, France, Russia and China. The devil here is really in the detail. Uh, There's an African common position, which is known as the Islawini Consensus, which was, if I'm correct, uh, agreed to in 2005 in Islawini and and Swaziland. And this sets out a very comprehensive position of Africa, particularly on the UN Security Council. The Islawini Consensus says that Africa wants two permanent seats with veto rights, five semi-permanent seats or a temporary seat, and a variety of other measures. Now, Latin America is also not uh, represented on the UN Security Council. And as soon as countries say, but uh, India, which has got 18% of the world's population, should come on the Security Council, then Pakistan and and China uh, have their objections. There are problems in every suggestion you come to by competing countries. So it's difficult to see if you have a, a council that there is so much power and politics and national interests involved in that, that despite the fact that we have a common text that sets out the common position. It's very difficult to see that we are going to see any rapid movement. This is a process on the current forecast that will take another five to ten years, in my view, if there isn't a complete revamp of the approach to UN Security Council reform. And that means stepping back from national interests. And and we, in actual fact, have have embarked on a campaign to, to move this forward, which we call Elect the Council, which is trying to move to a completely different paradigm on UN Security Council reform. Now, you're talking about the Uzulwini text, the paper that is inclusive of African countries. But I don't know, it seems as if the nearer we're going to the United Nations General Assembly, the more we don't hear very much from other African countries on this issue. It seems that South Africa is actually going alone on this. Why is that? A very good question. South Africa has been very clear about its ambitions that if there are going to be additional permanent seats, that South Africa wants to be one of them. We, of course, have major competitors, other countries that also want permanent seats. Generally, Nigeria and Egypt are the two other countries that are generally measured as countries that have ambitions. But firstly, the decision needs to be made whether there are going to be an expansion of the P5. I think generally there's an agreement that the P5, the veto, 
is the, probably the biggest problem within the Security Council. So the solution of increasing the permanent members on the Security Council will simply increase the problem because the last year, for example, Nigeria's economy became larger than South Africa. And in our forecast, in about 15 years' time, Angola's economy is larger than, than South Africa, for example. So the size and the influence of countries change over time. It's not possible to sort of say, well, these two or three African countries will forever remain the most important countries in Africa because things change. And, and there are many of South Africa's neighbors who don't want South Africa to be on the UN Security Council on a permanent capacity. And some of them are working with other groupings to sort of uh, try and block the South African position. Now, the Isawini consensus at the moment says that once a decision has been made on the enlargement of the UN Security Council, that the Africa Union will then nominate the two African countries who will serve in a permanent capacity. And in my view, the only way you could move forward with something like that is if Africa agrees that our seats on the Security Council rotate, that different countries from different regions move in and out on the Security Council. But now we've heard from high-ranking people in the ruling African National Congress of South Africa that China and Russia support South Africa in their bid to ensure African representation on the council. If that is the case, wouldn't that be a force because they are part of the five permanent members? Wouldn't that help a lot if that is true? It certainly would strengthen South Africa's position. But, you know, countries like the United States and others may not be entirely comfortable. And as I've indicated, there are a number of African countries who are not comfortable with having South Africa as a permanent position. But South Africa managed to become a member of the BRICS, and and the BRICS is is hugely powerful. I am not sure that Russia or China are prepared to come out publicly in terms of backing South Africa. These statements that one hears, we hear from South Africans, but I would like to see a statement from the Chinese and a statement from the Russians that go out publicly saying that they back South Africa for a permanent position. But certainly that is true, that will enhance our position immensely. But there are so many interrelated and other issues that um, even if they decide to back South Africa, you know, Brazil is generally seen to be representative of Latin America, but Argentina is against Brazil coming in. India is generally perceived to be important to bring on board for permanent seats, but Pakistan and China will probably block India. And this is the whole problem with the UN Security Council. You cannot easily agree on permanent position. I think it's almost impossible because ultimately the P5 are not interested in change. They are quite happy with their current position. And what they do behind the scenes is in actual fact undermine the positions of those countries that are trying to negotiate on reform because why would you want to share or give away your permanent veto right with anybody else? There is no incentive for them to do this. That was Jack Sillias, Executive Director of the Institute for Security Studies, speaking to Jose Dingake. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tracy Bumgard. Thank you, Lulu. The United States says it will send up to $45 million in defense services to support Benin, Cameroon, Chad, Niger and Nigeria in their efforts to defeat militant group Boko Haram. 
The support to these African countries will build on the training and military equipment that the United States has already supplied in the fight against the group. The International Monetary Fund has raised its 2015 forecast for GDP growth in Cameroon to 6%. It said it could achieve an even higher growth if it were not for a drop in the global oil price and the cost of a fight against Islamist militants. This is up from 5% in April. Head of an IMF mission to Cameroon, Mario Zamorowski, says this was based on good performance in certain sectors such as construction, public works on finance and increased oil output. Inflation will remain below the regional limit of 3%, while the budget deficit will be reduced to 5.4% of GDP because of revenues from taxes and mobile telephone licenses. Regional integration, evolving leadership, increased participation of women in politics and vibrant young people are just some of the reasons why a leading businessman is optimistic about East Africa. Ashish Takar, founder of Mara Group, believes that despite numerous challenges, the region is on the right track. Takar, who is in his 30s, began his first business as a teenager. Today, he oversees operations in 22 African countries, employing more than 10,000 people in sectors such as technology, manufacturing and financial services. This This advice is what he gives to young East Africans. Think big, dream, but start small. And don't cut corners. You're going to get many opportunities to cut corners and do things and not in an ethical way, but it will never last. So be long-term, think long-term, be ethical, have the right principles and values, but dream big, but start small and don't have that ego. Work hard, you're going to collapse, you're going to get knocked down so many times, you have to get up, dust yourself off and get back to it. It has been revealed that in April this year, Volkswagen of America sent letters to California owners of diesel-powered Audis and VWs, informing them of an emissions service action affecting the vehicles. Owners were told they would need to take their cars to a dealer for new software to ensure tailpipe emissions were optimized and operating efficiently. Elizabeth Ledija reports. The recall letter instructed owners of certain 2010 to 2014 Volkswagen vehicles with 2-litre diesel engines to contact dealers for a software update in order to fix an issue with the malfunction indicator light illuminating. The company didn't explain that it was taking the action in hopes of satisfying government regulators who were growing increasingly sceptical about the reason for discrepancies between laboratory emissions test results and real-world population from Volkswagen's diesel cars. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Elizabeth Lidira in Johannesburg. Australia's competition regulator says it's looking into whether VW misled consumers over its emissions claims. VW is grappling with the biggest business scandal in its 78-year history after it admitted last week that 11 million vehicles around the world had been fitted with software which could reduce the apparent emissions from diesel engines. Volkswagen Australia says it's waiting for guidance from its head office on the matter. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.92 South African Rand, at 10.34 Botswana Pula and at 10.24 Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.65 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. Looking at the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,146 and platinum at $947 an ounce. 
Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $48.20 a barrel. Thank you, Tracy. It's exactly 8.50 Central African time and our sports update up next with Msibudi Makura, who's going to tell us a bit more about tomorrow's game between South Africa and Samoa at the Rugby World Cup. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. South African side Orlando Pirates defender Patrick Pungwayo admits that the absence of Happy Jale and Siabonga Sangweni through suspension and Captain Opa Manyesa through an injury will be a huge loss when they take on Al Ahli in the first leg of the CAF Confederation Cup semi final tie. Pirates host the Egyptian Giants at Orlando Stadium on Saturday night with kickoff set for 6 p.m. Central African time. Pungwayo says Pirates might be the underdogs coming into this matchup, but their intentions are to win at home. It's always good to play to be an underdog. I think we are the underdogs, but they know us. We got to the final, so they know us. They know they're not going to come and be like they're going to win. It's not going to be easy for them. They know that, and we know that they are a big team. They are a good side, so we're not going to make it easy for them. And I know we're not. They're not going to make it easy for us, but we need this win in order for us to go to the final. A big team will always be a big team, regardless of whatever player that they bring in. We don't know the players, but of course, it's a big team. It means they are good players. The South African under-20 women's football team has arrived in Zambia ahead of the second round of the World Cup qualifiers this Sunday in Lusaka. Zambia denied South Africa a chance to participate in last year's under-17 World Cup. Most of the Zambian players played in the under-17 World Cup in Costa Rica in 2014 and victory over their host would be a step closer to World Cup qualification. South Africa will hope to continue where they left off after the demolition of Botswana in the first round. Meanwhile, the South African under-17 national team Mama Jimbo has polished off their preparations in Johannesburg on Thursday ahead of the friendly international against FIFA under-17 World Cup tournament host Chile in Cape Town this Saturday. Mama Jimbo's coach Molefe Ntseke, who has been in camp with his charges for over a week now, believes there's a lot to take out of the upcoming match. Yeah, I think uh, it was very important for us to host uh, the host in our country because I think they've been in camp for long. That will be a very good test for us to be playing them in South Africa. And at the same time, it will be our last match uh, in front of our supporters. They'll also be bringing the South American flag and uh, we'll also be giving them how it's like to play against an African country before they can start to compete in their groups. So I think uh, with us also, it will help us. If ever we go through the group stages, we might be playing a South American team. It's a very important match uh, for us. Former Brazil great Zico met with FIFA president Seb Blatter earlier this week to ask for changes in election eligibility rules at soccer's governing body. Zico has announced that he wants to run for FIFA presidency after Blatter leaves in February next year, but is struggling to fulfill the requirement of having at least five federations supporting him as a candidate. Zico says this rule needs to change because local federations are pressured by their confederations and can't make their own choice. 
choices. He did say Blatter was very receptive to his letter calling for the changes and that he also didn't agree with the current rules. So far, Zico only has the support from Brazil and needs to find other four federations to back him by the 26th of October in order to become an official candidate. And finally, in rugby news, South African Springbok coach Hane Kamea says the team will be looking to return to the type of rugby that complemented the team's strengths when they face Samoa in their second Rugby World Cup encounter in Birmingham on Saturday. Mayer defended the selection of Captain Jean de Villiers by saying that he is the type of player he will go to war with, but also says that he has learned lessons from the 1999 when the then-Bok coach Nick Mallet dropped Gary Tinchman on the eve of the World Cup and went on to be dumped out of the semi-finals. You know, I thought about it, and it's not an emotional decision. I thought long and hard, and I came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, this is a must-win game, and who are you going to back? And I had a long chat with John, and he's a, he's a, he just wants to serve South Africa. He said it doesn't matter, you know, if he's not in the team, it's fine. He'll come from the bench or whatever it takes. You know, he just wants the country to win. And I had a long and hard chat with him, and I just decided as a coach, and I'll stand by my decision, that if you go in a fight that you have to win, that uh, your whole career and the whole land, uh, country uh, depends on. Uh, if I go into that fight, I really want to take a guy that's had six knee operations. The Zaya Sports News at the Sour stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Burundi's Cabinet Council has adopted a decree granting amnesty to owners of illegal arms and South Africa pushes for more changes at the UN Security Council. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. For myself and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 779-695-7930. Taking us to the top of an hour for the news and another hour, or rather, that's the last hour on the... Frequency 9625 on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Mario's choice. That your forefathers did to question the penophytes Hoping you find that you will need a pen to find how sacred to find yourself. I think we lost our minds when they told the line. The Philistines too fresh, the nasty last end. The break is fine, too fresh, the gowns blast when. You take your time and choose a chance for no advancement. And make assessments, I would need food for clarity like a cat skin. Going insane. 
mad confusion I'm losing my weight, whatever rule I'm choosing A product of rage and optical illusion Everything I do is just a cue, just a damn it boozing Give me your heart to get me feeling human To receive that freedom from sky To redeem what we're feeling inside Cause fear is a demon and lie I shit here but I'm keeping alive Cause love is a color of you And that's true, true. Everyone that I want